You're listening to Irish Radio Canada this morning abroad. And one of the pleasures that I have throughout the year is being able around supper time to listen to RTE and to keep up to date and hear the wonderful Midland accent of Cahill Murray sharing the wealth of Irish talent and a good mix of international music, but the wealth of Irish talent. And over the years, uh, I've come to listen to Cahill for many, many nights or evenings and really enjoy his show. And Cahill is here with me and I'm thrilled to be able to have a chat with you, Cahill. Thanks a million for coming along. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. The show that you have now, I know it's not your first show, but going back, I want to go right back because you're from Athlone and I know your mum lived around the corner from where my mum was. And right. where I grew up, spent some of my teenage years in Moat and New Column quite well. Your background and how you got into and what drew you to broadcasting? Colin was actually my, my father's first cousin, which would have made oh. him my second or once removed. But, uh, yeah. but in many ways, he was kind of, he was kind of like an uncle to me. So I, I don't mind so much, but I grew up, uh, listening to him on the radio first when he was announcer on RT radio in the late seventies. And, uh, then he he became a newsreader on RTE2, as it was known at the time. And I have very vivid memories of everything stopping in the house. And we there was a, 10 of us in the house. My mum and dad had eight, eight children. And uh, everything stopped whenever Colm's voice came on the radio or whether he appeared on the television. And we were all made to, pay, to either listen or, or watch. And I thought to myself, Wow, this one person in the box and the in the box in the kitchen and the, and on the TV in the living room is getting all this attention. I thought that's a good job. <laughs> and you were right. Go on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it was it was all it was always um he was always kind of present, you know. So I I would always be very, very starstruck meeting your, uh, your your our relative from time to time over the years, you know. But it never really. Uh, uh, occurred to me to uh, follow in his footsteps, if you will, until a couple of chance uh, encounters and comments were made. Really, a little bit later in my life, when I when I went to when I went to uh, university in Cork, uh, the seeds were kind of sown then. Um, but from a young age, I I I was very very much into reading, and um, I was always put. <laughs> In, in the front of class to read to my fellow students. Uh, whether my teacher was too tired to teach that morning or not, I can't remember. But I always remembered uh, being, uh, yeah, in, in front of my fellow students or else being up on stage doing something or other. So I always had, kind of had a grow for performance, really. And I guess, you know, broadcasting is a kind of performance as well. So, um I went to UCC and uh, they had their own local radio station, uh, Campus Radio. And myself and a friend uh, were directing a play as part of the University Dramatic Society. And so we went on to to plug it back in, I think it was 1996 or something like that. And um, to say it was on Tuesday to Saturday in the Granary Theatre and all that. And tickets were £2 or whatever. And the producer of the arts programme, said that I had a nice radio voice and that that was it. Of course, I did nothing about that for quite a long time after that, but uh, the seeds were sown then, that's for sure, yeah. Yeah. And then 
if some of those seeds, what brought it to fruition? Um, what what happened was around the time my my father Charlie sadly passed away uh, well before his time back in the year two thousand. So I was in a position really where I could move home to be with mum for a while. And uh, I was in my early 20s as well. So that was kind of a, a post, post-college post time of kind of, you know, trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life and kind of huge uncertainty because you come out of the bubble of secondary school and third level and reality hits you like a slap in the face at that time as well, especially when you're, you know, you're watching your peers going on to do this, that and the other as well. So, so I kind of had to go home and kind of reboot and figure out what I was going to do. So, you know, those seeds that were sown, I thought, well, you know, if there's some potential here, what can I do about this? So, obviously, I was in Athlone and the, the local radio station uh, I approached was Midlands 103, who were based in Tullamore. So, I contacted them and requested to speak to the station manager. And uh, it was uh, the usual polite, but uh, he's in a meeting and uh, maybe call back some other time. And uh, I took that as a very polite PFO now, you know, because, you know, what can you do when you don't have experience and you want experience? It's that thing. So I did something that was kind of, would be slightly alien to my character. Uh, I kind of kept knocking on the door. I was motivated to do it. And uh, so I rang every day for what felt like an eternity. It must have been about a month till they relented and called me in. So I got the train to Tullamore. And they gave me a few news scripts to read and um, they gave me a job uh, as a weekend newsreader on the station. So that was the start. And that was back, um, yeah, back all those years ago. So I had a foot in the door. So mm-hmm. that was it. That was it. And uh, I haven't had a, a real job since then, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where is the love of music and, and the depth oh, of yeah. that? Oh, the, the, the love of music is definitely passed down. I'm, I'm the, the, the seventh of eight children and all of my brothers and sisters had a huge love of music, wide ranging as well from traditional, but Bowie would have been a huge part of our house. So, um, yes, all my brothers and sisters listened to music and it was all passed down to me. I think when I was, when I was, I think it was Christmas when I was 15, I was given some, some some albums that changed my life. I was listening to the usual stuff, you know, the chart stuff that, you know, any young teenager would be listening to at the time. But I was given um, the best of Leonard Cohen, the best of Lou Reed, um, two new young albums, After the Gold Rush and Harvest. And also I was given a copy of, what was that album called again? I think it was Octone Baby by U2. And I've been a huge U2 fan, uh, especially Rattling Home, but Octone Baby really opened my ears and blew my mind. So I held on to those albums and they became kind of a, a launch pad for my own, for my own, my own base for, you know, for everything I listen to now, which is so wide ranging. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm very grateful to, to my bros and sisters for clubbing together and getting me those albums at such a young age because they had a huge effect on me, that's for sure. So to transition from Midland and Tullamore uh, to the bigger audience. 
Oh, so that that happened. That happened in um, 2001. Now, at the time, I was so so grateful to be working, you know. And I I thought, well, you'll have to, you know, you do whatever number of years you need to get experience. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. I do. I do feel I wasn't going. Oh, I'm just going to work here now and get my experience and go on to bigger and better things. I, I had no plan in that regards, but. In 2001, I got wind that they were, RTE, were looking to uh, hire television continuity announcers. So uh, my friend Karina Buckley, who was with me in the UCC Dramatic Society, she used to light our plays. At the time, she was working as an announcer, and she was just starting a job as a weather presenter as well, which she does to this day, and brilliantly too. So Karina helped me put an audition tape together uh, to to hand in. So she, I met her in Dublin. She brought her mini disc player, and we recorded. Uh, I think I was reading an Irish Times article. I read an excerpt from a Harry Potter book, and then I wrote some uh, stupid story about how uh, Martin Luther King. And TV3's Martin King were distantly related or something like that. Just to be stupid and silly. And so we did that. And I got called for an audition. And sure enough, um, I thought this is my big moment. And I got the flu, <laughs> which is the worst possible time. And uh, I had it. You know, as you know, the flu knocks you out. So I probably mm-hmm. knocked out. So I remember uh, I was, you know, determined to attend. But I was just an awful state and I was in this waiting room and I'd never seen a more glamorous bunch of young people in my life and I was a sweaty shivering mess in the corner and uh, it was all you know young movers and shakers and all that and they were, we were all auditioning together and I thought well I haven't got a chance here but I suppose because I was felt so weakened from the flu my inhibitions kind of drifted away so I wrote the little piece they asked it to write, to write and sat in the camera. And I suppose I, I, I didn't, I felt so ill that I didn't really care, but that made me relax. Mm-hmm. So I guess they saw enough in me to, um, to, to train me. And I, I got selected out of that group, which was unbelievable. And then. I went on a, a training course for, for announcers. I went to elocution lessons and uh, learned how to, uh, a great skill, which I still try to employ to this day, to, to condense large amounts of information. Because when you were doing television continuity links, you kind of had to sell a program in 10 or 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. So you'd be given a paragraph of information to condense. So uh, that was just, a, it was a great skill to learn about how to, you know, not to waste a word and, to, you know, economical and direct with your language so yes i became i became a television continuity announcer so that was a that was very interesting i got <laughs> being an avid tv watcher at the time i was getting paid to watch and introduce tv programs <laughs> so that went that went on for quite quite a while then and then another strange thing happened so my my career has been a, a series of very lucky accidents for me really as you know now, Late Date was not the last, like you you had a program before Late Date. Yeah, I did. I did, actually. I, I spent some time. I returned to the newsroom before the radio thing happened. Um, I suppose one of the advantages of having your foot in the door of an organization, any organization really, 
is that you hear of opportunities coming up mm-hmm. on, on the grapevine, if you will. So back in, in 2002, I was about only about a year and a half into uh, working for, at this stage I was voicing all the uh, the, the promos for RT2, or Network 2 as it was at the time, and working as their main continuity announcer. So that was that was a lot of fun. And uh, RTE uh, decided to start an Irish version of, uh, do you remember John Craven's Newsround on BBC, a uh, news service for children on television, which uh, I'm pretty sure is still running to this day. So RTE were on the lookout for two presenters for a new program they're developing called News Today, which would be a seven-minute program broadcast Monday to Friday as part of the DEN for 7 to 12-year-olds. And again, uh, I auditioned for that. And uh, I, I guess because I had uh, a very limited background in, you know, in, in, a, in broadcast news from my experience in Midlands 103, another audition that I wasn't uh, up for doing because uh, little did I know, I was very short-sighted and I couldn't read the autocue for, for my audition. And the young man who was operating the autocue, who himself was auditioning, lent me his glasses and I got through it. And luckily I got the job. So I spent a year in the newsroom making programs with um, Alva Keneally, who was selected as the, the presenter as well. And she, I'm going off on a tangent here, but Alva is now currently uh, RTE's uh, religious and social affairs correspondent. She really recently took over from uh, Joe Little. So we had a great time, a uh, great time doing it. That was the year 2003, the year the Special Olympics were happening. And uh, yeah, fantastic experience. But um as much as I enjoyed that environment, I was never really, all my friends, the journalists in the RT Museum are real news hounds. They have a passion for it and it was never quite, quite there for me, you know. I think I was, I was suited to doing reports for, for the young people rather than standing outside high court or a tribunal at the time, you know. So, uh, I ended up, um, uh, heading into radio then. So that's, yeah. That's when the, my current adventure started. Kyle, from that, one of the things I always felt about radio is that when you're there in the studio and the microphone gets turned on, you're in a one-to-one relationship with the listener. And I don't think that applies in TV in the same sense. Would you, would you agree? Oh, they're two totally different mediums, you know, and... Just because, you know, you, you, you excel at one doesn't, doesn't automatically apply to excel at the other. They're two totally different things. I mean, your words are painting pictures, you know, radio is theater of the mind and, a, you know, a, a television broadcaster has the, the pictures for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're two totally different things. And, uh, yeah, there's a real intimacy to radio. And I think like any, I always, you know, whenever we, you're at the desk and you, there is a key, you turn it on like an engine and you go to where it is like being in a jumbo jet, you know, and you need to build up the air miles in order to build up your relationship with the listener where a small thing like a song dropping out or a CD skipping earlier in your career, that might lead to, as you know yourself, a microsecond is an eternity yeah. of dead air, you know. Yes. And, uh, and uh, so I could go on to you for hours about various mishaps that happened over here. You never learn anything unless something bad happens to you. But, um, yeah, it's about building up the air miles and being comfortable, uh, you know, in front of that microphone. And, uh, 
yeah, you are you are talking to another person in the room, even though there's people all over the country. And now, with the ease of communication by the Twitter and email, there's people all over the world listen to you as well. So it's yeah, it's it's quite it's it, it, it's it's really it knocks me out every time. And uh, the fact that people choose to listen to you, a man sitting on his own in a studio in a bunker. At half one in the morning is is it is amazing and it's it's uh, I feel very lucky uh, every day to be able to do it. That's for sure. So when you mention all over the world and that is of course the beauty of it. Normally, as I said to you, when um, it's six p.m. my time, six to nine p.m. and it's eleven p.m. to two a.m. your time. Um, your audience at this stage is all over the world and particularly I would say going west towards North America because of the time zones. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you must get tremendous feedback from all over the, the North America. Yes, yes, and more so um, during this a terrible pandemic. I think people, it's being reflected in the figures from um, people clicking online to listen to to RTE.ie that uh, the the Irish around the world, uh, and especially in North America, are. Uh, tuning in just for a taste of home and a sense of home because many of them can't make it home because of this. And uh, so, yeah, it's just to to, to to hear a familiar voice, you know, uh, if not a familiar name, if you know what I mean, and to catch the news and things like that and to hear about so-and-so up the road in Ballinasloe or down somewhere in Carasabine and all that. I think it's a comfort to to people who are listening far from home anyway. And you're very conscious of that. And because of the wonder of uh, the World Wide Web, you can hear from someone who might be in Ottawa you know, uh, just having their dinner and, you know, you're there at uh, half 11 at night, you know, it is amazing. And then on the flip side, you will have, you know, of course, there's many um, Irish living down under in Australia and they'll, you know, you'd be there on a Monday night and they'll be starting their Tuesday having their breakfast tuned into <laughs> very low key, <laughs> relaxed music program. So it is, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It really is to be, it's brilliant to be, uh, to be able to connect with people uh, like that really is. So when you come off air at two o'clock in the morning, um, I know it because of the nature of it, that it must take you a while then to come back down. Oh yeah, yes. You know yourself uh, do, doing doing the gig as well, Austin. That uh, you have your you are in. You know you you are flying that plane on air for those number of hours, and um, you are concentrating the whole time because because um, the nature of late date and mainly and music programs in RT Radio One and you know the, the the fantastic training we we got. It's a one man show. So, for example, I would, you know, operate at the same time I'd be introducing or back announcing a song. You're operating the desk and lining up the weather in Met Aaron and Glasnevin and making sure the sports presenters there and the other parts of the campus and the newsreader and then checking text tweets and emails. You're, you're, you're like a multi-tentacled being, you know. That's why I hate to be on, I would hate to be on camera on air because you're constantly like this, going from computer to computer or grabbing something and then going in front of the mic. So, you are, it's not a pretty sight. And it's not the same as having a program team down. You can just go and listen to the interview and go ahead and make your point. You have so much to do. So you, you are quite, um, switched on and, uh, you, you, um, 
Yeah, it takes, it takes a little time to wind down. Now, I started Late Date in 2016, which ran at the same time as the, you know, the upcoming American presidential election. So I made uh, the mistake of getting involved that uh, in the soap opera that was uh, American uh, uh, broadcast news television, which would have been, well, I got home at, you know, after two o'clock, it would have been, you know, nine o'clock in the Eastern Seaboard. And I got... I got very much into watching CNN and stuff like that. Then I, I started getting worried about uh, America all of a sudden. So that didn't help me wind down at all. So, and then, of course, what happened happened. We don't need to go into it. But, yes, I, I, I'm glad I'm not watching CNN anymore. And it's I've, and the last month or two, I've found it very easy to wind down. Now. So, <laughs> now, in the last six months, you've become a dad. Yes, so given sure. the hour of the, the night that you get home, I'm sure your wife is delighted that there is Absolutely. somebody coming in in the middle of the night who is still hyped, who is ready to take <laughs> over. It lends it lends itself very well to to minding a small baby, Austin. And I'll tell you that for nothing. Yeah, we're very lucky. Joseph arrived to the you know the backdrop of the pandemic, so it is it is very handy. It is very handy, so I can look after anything that needs to be looked after and. Uh, if he's awake at that time, sure, I can tell him how the show went. That has to be fine. So, uh, uh, no, it, it's brilliant. brilliant. It, it, the, my hours now lend themselves very well to that. So, and it, it means that we can get our sleep in, you know, in shifts. So Siobhan can get the sleep in when I get home and then she'll do the morning shifts and I'll sleep in during the morning. So, no, it's great in that regard. Like, but so, uh, I think if I, if we were both, if I was heading to work at in an office hour situation, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be arranging the Zoom call for later than it has happened today. That's for sure, probably soon. <laughs> so during the early parts, I know that there were a lot of presenters who were broadcasting from home at one point. Was there any period that you had to broadcast from home? No, there wasn't at all. And um, to be honest with you, it would have meant pre-recording the program from home, and immediately you lose. You know, I think because Late Date is is kind of an interactive program mm-hmm. that has been for many for many years. <clears throat> because I think people who are out there like acknowledgments at night and all that, and obviously you can't provide that. Uh, uh, and people need company at night as well. And you know, the radio is a great companion for many people who live on their own as well. So um, no, it's important that. Late date is broadcast live every night, and I, I was d- d- delighted to do it. I mean, there was initial worries, obviously, when and great uncertainty, you know, this time last year when you know when this was kicking off. But no, these programs over the last year are the ones I've been proudest of doing because of of what was going on, just to provide some tiny bit of comfort, if you could, to people. So, um. And there's also many technical things which I don't want to bore your listeners with. Which you, you know about hitting junctions and playing out breaks and hitting live sport and news and weather and all that. So many variables. So pre-recording it wouldn't have been possible and it's not something I would have done as well because I have an aversion to pre-recording programs. I, I, I can't do them because if it's live, it's gone. And uh, I, I, I pour over the tiniest mm, uh, uh, and all those vocal things you might have from pre-recording something. So I'd say it would take me six months to put an hour's worth 
content on tape so when it's live it's gone and <laughs> try not to mess it up while it's live so no um uh, it has been possible for some um programs to come from home but the uh, they are run from base some of the you know the larger programs have it's been possible for some presenters to 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 do their links from home but uh no with all our music programs on radio one we have uh, uh the ones that are live we've been coming in Doing them live, that's myself, uh, Shea Byrne in the morning, Ronan Collins, mm. and John Creedon. So, yeah, we're live with you every night. We're going to have to wrap up, Carl, and on that, that's a good way not for, to remind people that if they want to listen live, it's 11 p.m. Irish time, runs right through until 2 a.m. in the morning. So that East Coast is 6 p.m. When you get out to the West Coast, you're looking at 3 p.m., and I, you'd know the Australian times better than I would. 7 or 8 yeah. in the morning, possibly 8 yeah. in the morning. Yeah, so rte.ie, yeah, it's a, and it's on the player. You can find it there or on any of the other uh, applications that uh, reach into streaming radio. And Cahill is a uh, most soothing and entertaining host every night, Sunday night to Thursday night, and then Fiatna takes over usually for the weekend. Indeed, Cahill, it's been a real pleasure chatting. It's been a pleasure chatting to you as well and all the best to your listeners and stay safe and a better times to come, eh?